0: I'm sat here this morning and a friend has come along to join me and and this is Sarah Perchon and Sarah is a writer based in Sheffield yes yeah uh, are, are you based local in Sheffield local to Crooks or uh,
1: yeah I live with my husband and dog and baby um, in Norton Lees in Sheffield oh
0: in Norton Lees I know <laughs> it well yeah. who's the oldest then the dog or the baby
1: the dog he's coming up to eight years old and baby Cara is eight months old today actually so you've got
0: an eight months old child So how do you manage to juggle an (laughs) eight-month-old child uh, and, and a dog and a husband and uh, and and Well the husband else?
1: largely looks after himself thankfully as does the dog he's a retired racing greyhound so he's very happy as long as I let him sit on the sofa and I've got really helpful parents they live 10 minutes away so I've left Cara and the dog with them this morning and yeah it has been a bit of a juggle but it's been a lot of fun obviously I'm on maternity leave from work at the moment so that has allowed me in one way a little bit more time than normal to write, in other ways not, not so much time because obviously Cara, the older she gets, she's more active and wants to play and often wants to sit on my lap and hit the laptop keys <laughs> whilst I'm trying to write, so it can be a bit of a juggle but it's been fun.
0: Okay, what what's, what is your job when you're not writing and looking after kids and juggling dogs and husbands?
1: I'm an English teacher, I have been for 12 years.
0: All oh, right. what level?
1: Secondary school, um, so 11 to 18 year olds, and I've more so, or less every year I've taught across that age range. So up to A level? Yeah. yeah.
0: To, wow, I'm impressed. Oh. <laughs> do, you, do you mind me asking where would you consider yourself in your 20s? Or?
1: Uh, oh, I'm 34. Oh, <laughs> <Bless> you're 34. <laughs> you. Oh, right, yeah. okay.
0: I have to say, for the benefit of those who can't see us, uh, <laughs> that Sarah doesn't look 34. Sarah, tell me something, how did we meet?
1: Uh, we met last week at something called the Sheffield Novel Slam. It was my first time there and I was really impressed with it. A friend of mine had told me about it and so I went along, threw myself in there to be considered as one of the novelists on the evening and this was a prize. <laughs> Right, what did
0: you think about the concept of the novel Swan?
1: I really, really liked it. Obviously, before I attended, I, I was kind of curious about it. I'd read on the internet... So web page that you were to enter your novel, prepare a one minute pitch and that was really useful to me actually as a writer at the point that I'm at just about to finish my book and um, to try and boil down 50 odd thousand words into a one minute pitch was really really useful so that was the first hurdle and I was excited to kind of go along get involved I, I wasn't sure what to expect I was a little bit nervous and again and yeah, and then after having been through the novel slam I just thought it was a great concept really helpful to budding Writers to kind of get themselves out there.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you feel that? Uh, I mean, I know it's an adrenaline rush. <laughs> the uh, the novel slamming. Yeah. absolutely. Do you do you feel that it helped you to find your level as a writer? Do you do you find it, it calmed you down? And, and, yeah. The
1: first minutes pitch, first thing that we all had to go up and do. I found that really nerve wracking. And and it might be worth me saying that for me, that's. A little bit odd because as part of my job obviously I stand up in front of classes of students every day and and because of various management positions I've been in I'm often doing assemblies in front of 300 students or 100 parents and things so it was really really odd for me to stand up in front of I don't know how many people were there. Maybe 150. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, they're probably uh, going up for a for a hundred. Yeah, um, I, I
1: found it strange to be nervous, but it was a really good new context for me to kind of put myself into. So yeah.
0: What did you think about the other slammers' work?
1: Really good, yeah. The the first round, I think there were 20 of us or or maybe 19 of us, and they all sounded really quite interesting. Lots of people had us chuckling. I actually am very good friends with a few of the others who entered because we're part of a writer's group. Um, So David and Dan, for example, I I knew their writing really well, so I absolutely knew that they were of a very high standard which
0: writers group is that
1: we've all been on the MA course at Sheffield Hallam in creative writing but it it's just a really informal one that we've set up I have to give credit to my friend Dan he's the one that kind of got us together
0: yeah how do you think you would have gone on without the writers group do, oh, you, do my you think goodness. it projected you forward
1: I think it's definitely projected me forward I think it's made me have a much tougher skin than I had before um, and that's really important I think as a writer to to listen to other people's comments and take them on board each week we each of us would send around a section of our writing and and comment on it and I think that's really really important to have other people give you their opinion.
0: Yeah well talking about opinions what did you think about the judging process and the judges opinions? Were they fair, informed, accurate? I
1: think they were really fair, informed and accurate. Obviously they're all coming from quite an established position so really whatever they had to say I, I was kind of open to it I think for all of us that got to that final five, the reading. I think the the comments were really valuable. Mine in particular. Um, I've all my university tutors on various assessments I've I've submitted over the last two years as part of the MA have said I do have a slight tendency perhaps to overwrite a little bit. So when one of the judges mentioned that, I thought yes, that's that's a good reminder. Well, there is a the thing
0: about overwriting. You can mm. always take it out if you underwrite that's It's very thing. very difficult yeah. to to actually fill in the gaps yeah, yeah. because obviously you don't know where the gaps are
1: yeah and uh, I think re-editing what I've written over the last kind of six months or so has been absolutely vital and being quite ruthless with, with the words on the page as well and kind of stripping it out well I think, that's good to hear yeah yeah, I've still got a little bit to go but as I say I'm in the finishing stages now so hopefully I've, I've kind of mastered it a bit but it was interesting to have the judges comment on the sections that i'd read because with them being from the beginning of the novel i hadn't revisited them in in a couple of months Mm. so it was really timely for me to go back and take bits out and and re-look at it
0: good good where would you place your work would you say it was mainstream avant-garde or modern novel
1: i really hope that literally uh, I, i hope that my work would come under the bracket of kind of mainstream young adult fiction oh, right. um that is that is the market i'm going for that's the kind of people it's I had in a mind. big market yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a big not, target. To, yeah, I've obviously worked with teenagers for 12 years in the classroom and family members who are teenagers and things. And I've always loved story writing and the sci-fi element has always appealed to me even in oh, right, my that's 30s. Interesting.
0: Do you think that the Novel Slam actually changed your approach to your work? Do you Do you, do you find it sharpened up your appetite to really dive into this well, book now and... Um,
1: Sorted. I, w- I think um, I have to kind of give my writing group and, and my recent completion of the MA credit for a lot of the sharpness, hopefully, that I'm going through at the moment in terms of finessing and finalising. But the Novel Slam absolutely got me out of my comfort zone. It helped me to kind of pitch it in more of a marketplace um, than the privacy of my own writing and the writing group and all that kind of thing. Because having an assessment for the MA or sending a a chapter to the writing group, it is still a very small circle of people that read it, whereas the Novel Slam opened it up to 50 or 100 people. Most
0: most writers are never aware of their standing in the writing community, unless they're picked up by an agent and and then published uh, Mm you know then then they become aware of their standing mm. but even then i know people who write book after book after book that sell well mm. but they still struggle to make a living
1: mm. it's the nature so of
0: that. where do you place yourself in that uh, understanding in the ro- local writing community gosh I don't know
1: I mean after last week's novel slam I've got myself on twitter which was interesting and I have started following some some of the groups you know the Sheffield novelists and yeah. some of the other writers there and um, so I guess I would see myself as a fledgling member um, I'm just kind of getting, getting finding my feet within it and
0: well, that's a good place to be. Yeah, yeah, that's a good place to be. Uh, just be careful jumping out of the nest the first time. Make <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. sure <laughs> you've got enough feathers on. Uh, yeah. Right, tell me something about the first piece of, the, of your novel that you've selected to read today.
1: So <clears throat> the first piece I'm reading is the prologue and chapter one. It kind of seemed like a sensible place to start at the beginning. And the reason it's kind of in two parts is because throughout my novel, I have these occasional um, italicised forays into this dark man's perspective, whereas the majority of the book is told from Lily's perspective, a 15-year-old girl who's the protagonist of the story.
0: OK, well, just before we go on any further with that, one thing we haven't got up to now is the title of the book.
1: Oh, it's called Phoenix.
0: Phoenix, mm. uh, and and how does that relate to So novel?
1: Lily Phoenix is the protagonist of ah. the book. Also, as you'll know from mythological uh, traits, the Phoenix has properties of kind of... Um, regeneration. Regeneration and, yeah. and, and rebirth and hope and bravery and things like that.
0: Right, okay. So let's hear the prologue and the chapter one of Phoenix. Thank you.
1: Prologue. The man wore black from head to foot. He stood perfectly still. His oversized raincoat with its upturned collar hid his face. He was leaning against one of the structural beams that supported the spectator stand by the sports field at Pembley Academy. He was watching. From underneath the shadowy rim of his fedora, his eyes, an azure blue, were fixed, narrowed but unblinking, on the scene below him on the athletics track. The beginnings of spider's web lines around his eyes and the crease of his carefully focused brow suggested this man was nearing middle age, or that his youth had been challenging. A handsome face, stolen too soon. The curve of his distinctive cheekbones complemented the strong fix of his jaw, clamped in concentration. As the fading daylight graced his face, the silver line of a jagged scar snaked across his left cheek and into the curve of his lip the man's stern expression belied the lopsided smirk the scar's indelible ink had given him. The only movement that betrayed this inanimate figure as human was the occasional intake of breath flaring in his nostrils. Cloaked in black and standing in the shadows, he was easy to miss. The staff and students down below had no reason to suspect an intruder or to imagine that their every movement was being scrutinised. The people on the ground continued with their business. This man didn't mind. He had waited long enough to get this close what were a few more hours especially when the reward was so remarkable he didn't have to wait long the noise on the field below increased children whooped and cheered the man's body moved forward a fraction face tensed eyes narrowed suddenly the man was moving towards the exit retreating along the row of seats he moved gracefully and with purpose as he disappeared from the spectator stand, his jaw was no longer clamped shut. Behind the upturned collar, the lopsided smirk was replaced by a satisfied smile. Chapter 1 Smoke billowed from the side w- window of the old building. The courtyard outside was slowly filling up with worried-looking students and staff. Teenagers with excited faces were on their smartphones documenting the drama and messaging their friends. Teachers with harried expressions were attempting to guide them away from the flame-stricken science block. Inside the laboratory, Mr. Bentley stood scratching his head. The fire chief was trying, for what felt like the tenth time, to prove that the fire had been started due to a wayward Bunsen burner gas supply. "'Happens all the time!' he repeated. These old school buildings are a death trap waiting to happen. You're lucky no one was hurt. Like I told you, Mr. Bentley said, we had them checked just last summer. It wasn't the gas supply that started the fire, I'm sure of it. Well, I'll certainly check it again for you now, but if it wasn't the gas, what do you think did it then, eh? Asked the fire chief, clearly offended by this man's lack of reasonable agreement. That I'm not so sure about mr bentley responded he knew what he thought he'd seen but that was madness he must be more stressed than he realized or else losing his marbles completely the fire chief dropped to his knees and started fishing around underneath the lab bench with his right hand hanging on to the work surface with his left He said something that Mr. Bentley couldn't hear and was happy to ignore. The teacher's attention had drifted to the view out of the window into the courtyard where his fourth year top set were mingling about, excitedly chatting to one another or taking selfies with the medical team who had arrived a short while ago. Typical response. He'd been working with teenagers for a very long time and knew full well all it took was a strong gust of wind to get them distracted. A full-scale shutdown of a lesson because of what seemed to be a spontaneous inferno would keep them giddy for weeks, if not months. As he started to turn back to where the fire chief was now scouring the workbenches for spent matches, something caught his eye. Two students had drifted to the edge of the courtyard and weren't involved in the hubbub. One of them was the new boy, Jackson he'd arrived last week and slotted very well into mr bentley's house team the ravens he was in mr bentley's form group so he'd been obliged to do his welcome interview tall blond intelligent and already setting himself apart on the sports field mr bentley had warmed to the new boy immediately he'd even told steve preston in p to keep an eye on him for this year's athletics team lord knows pemberley academy could do with an injection of this american all-star Sure, it hadn't gone down very well with the head teacher when Jackson had hacked into the school's digital signage to promote Nancy Cavendish's campaign poster for the coveted head girl elections, but Mr Bentley knew just how persuasive that girl could be and was sure Jackson was just trying to make friends. He was a bit cheeky, but his heart was in the right place. It was surprising then, to see that instead of maximising on the surprise break from lessons and flirting with the girls, Jackson was now sitting slumped on the sidewall, keeping himself resolutely away from everyone else. In fact, now Mr. Bentley looked again, he could see that he looked very pale. He recognised the girl trying to talk to the new boy as Lily Phoenix. Mr. Bentley liked Lily. She worked well and kept her head down. He didn't know the details, but the poor kid didn't have any parents. She boarded at the school during the week and stayed with her aunt for weekends and holidays. She'd always been such a well-behaved student, but as he watched her talking to Jackson now, he'd realised he'd heard colleagues talking about her in the staff room that morning. Something about a fist fight. Lily was saying something to Jackson and he stood up from his seated position to respond. Was he shouting something? Mr. Bentley hadn't seen him get cross before and he wasn't surprised when Lily shrank back from him as he pushed past her. He was heading back to the dormitories via the side walkway. He clearly didn't want to speak to any more of his classmates. Lily bent down to pick up her satchel and when she stood and straightened her blazer, her eyes locked on his, watching her through the classroom window from across the courtyard. Like a voyeur caught witnessing something he shouldn't have, Mr. Bentley felt startled. He offered an empathetic smile. Lily turned and walked towards her friend who was calling to her, casting a furtive glance over her shoulder. "'Well, like I say, you never know what's going on in the mind of teenagers,' the fire chief said, jotting something down on the notepad he was holding. "'What's that?' Mr Bentley asked, a distinct feeling of unease settling across his shoulders. "'Student error. Maybe one of the kids in your class had a lighter or some matches.' impossible mr bentley said automatically the school operates a zero tolerance approach to that kind of thing we've been having spot checks all week he'd checked jackson's bag only this morning he reflected jackson who had been at the workbench where the fire had started so suddenly jackson who had been sat next to lily well i suggest you conduct some more spot checks because that gas supply is absolutely fine like you said it had to be a student The fire chief offered him a parting salute as he sauntered round the corner of the classroom and out of the doorway. Mr. Bentley resumed scratching his head. Perhaps he wasn't losing his marbles after all.
0: Where did you find that tiny kernel of inspiration that sparked your imagination in respect of the story?
1: Essentially, I wanted to create this world that was recognisable and realistic for young people, so that's why I've set it in a school environment. I've chosen to set it in a, an academy, because that seems quite topical for the educational world today. It's actually a boarding a boarding school, and Lily stays there through the week, and I've mentioned in that first reading that she doesn't have a mother and a father, so I was kind of wanting to set up this idea of Lily as perhaps a little bit different to most, most teenage girls her age. And um, the very first section, the prologue, the inspiration for this kind of threatening dark presence, I guess I wanted to make sure that there was an undercurrent of jeopardy from the opening. And it, it's a little bit ambiguous purposefully at the beginning as to what this man is there for, what he's interested in, but that hopefully becomes clear by the end of kind of chapter three or it gets clearer anyway as we go through.
0: Right at a very base level, what is the novel about?
1: Basic level, it's a story about how young people can be incredibly powerful, brave, and they can shape their own futures. And in the case of Lily, our protagonist, they can be a real force for good and a healing force in the world around them.
0: Do you think this is taught to younger children these days, that they do have a power and uh, and, and um, capability?
1: I hope it is. Obviously, maternity leave aside, most of my days are spent surrounded by teenagers, and especially in an English classroom, I think it's such a right place to deal with issues of you know, how powerful or powerless people feel and what that can lead to. You know, when we study novels such as To Kill a Mockingbird, Of Mice and Men, or um, so many of the the ones aimed at younger readers as well, we can, we can talk children through how themes like power and prejudice and all those other types of things can be battled by one person at a time rather than just kind of passively accepting the world as it is.
0: Okay, so if you had to sum up the novel in one line, try.
1: Oh, gosh. Um...
0: Surprise me.
1: I would say it's a book about finding your feet in the world and speaking up for what you believe in.
0: Will you tell me why you've chosen this next section of your book?
1: So, the next section I'm going to read is from the end section of chapter three so i've kind of read you already the prologue and chapter one uh, and this is this is a section of the book where something quite exciting happens and it's the first real occasion where lily's realizing that something is actually quite different and exceptional um about her performance on the running track
0: (laughs) okay so this is chapter three
1: yeah chapter three As Lily's classmates moved towards their starting positions on the relay track with the rest of the class, she was pleased to see she wouldn't be racing against Nancy. Although academically, Nancy was a tough cookie to beat or even come close to. In the sporting arena, Lily was a more than challenging opponent for her. Lily loved beating her, just to see the expression on her face, but she was still mindful of the incident earlier this week and the bruise on Nancy's nose. The further away, the better today. Max was running the first leg of their circuit, with Anaya taking the second. Johnny had the third, which left Lily, their fastest asset, finishing the race on the home straight. She jumped up and down on her starting line, weighing up her competition. Hey Lily, how are the bruises coming on? I guess I hit you pretty hard. Lily's heart sank. What did she have to do to get away from this guy? He was warming up on the starting line next to her. Ah well, as long as you and your mates were amused, I guess that's all that matters, isn't it? Lily was surprised by the argumentative tone. What was it about this boy that wound her up so much? Whoa, I guess I'm not forgiven yet then, Jackson said. I'll make it up to you, he continued, a cheeky look spreading across his face. Maybe I'll let you win our leg just to say sorry. Let me win, Lily asked. She could feel her heart rate quicken as soon as the words left his mouth. She turned to face him straight on. She smiled her enormous toothy grin. You know what, Jackson, I'm absolutely going to love kicking your ass in this race. Jackson scoffed, or laughed nervously. Lily couldn't decide. In the distance, the starter gun let rip into the air and the first leg runners' feet began pounding the ground. Lily felt totally aware. She felt like she could hear the footsteps and the heavy breathing of all the runners on the other side of the field. She shook her head to clear it. Must be delayed concussion. She was watching Max eagerly willing him onwards towards Zaniya. Jackson was also watching his teammates. His body was close enough to Lily that she could sense his tension too. Max got to Anaya at the same time as Jackson's teammate reached Nancy. Nancy's run was quicker than Anaya's and she was soon a few paces ahead. ''Still so sure you're going to kick my ass, Lily?'' mocked Jackson. He was now wearing the biggest smile but Lily made sure she stayed focused. Nancy was faster than Anaya, fair enough, but Jackson's third runner was Pete Tamworth and Lily knew that he was no match for Johnny. As the girls passed on the baton, Lily felt Jackson tense up again as he got into position. Still feeling smug, Jackson? Lily narrowed her eyes at the same time as Jackson did. As she looked at him, waiting to be handed the relay baton, she ran through a mental checklist of the reasons she had to make her want to beat him. Exploding science lab, a week's worth of detention, arrogant, egotistical... Stupid enough to be charmed by Nancy instead of her beautiful and genuine best friend. Yeah, this guy deserves to be left for dust. Johnny had caught up with Pete's lead and they were now headed towards Lily and Jackson at a neck and neck level. Lily felt every sinew in her body start to tingle. She was poised and ready. She'd never felt so psyched up. As Johnny approached, she flashed Jackson a winning smile. Johnny placed the cool metal baton in her hand just a fraction of a second before Pete passed his to Jackson. See ya, she goaded as she set off down the home straight. She felt the blood rushing around her muscles and the cheers and yelps from her teammates around the field spurred her on. She was smiling as she realised she was out in front. The speed she was running felt supremely fast. Nearby trees and fence panels seemed to whiz by and merge into one. She allowed herself a smug grin as she imagined Jackson paces behind her. Then, just into her peripheral vision, she noticed another pair of trainers on the track right next to her. Damn, This guy was better than she thought. She maintained her focus and continued to pound the earth beneath her feet. Jackson inched slightly ahead and even though she was running faster than she could remember ever running before, somehow she felt the energy to keep up. She almost whooped for joy as she managed to pass him by a couple of inches, this time sure that this would be all she needed to win. She vaguely acknowledged the crowd of fellow students around the track screaming and cheering them on. Were they cheering him or her? What happened next was hard to explain. Suddenly determined to beat her opponent and wipe the smile off his face once and for all, Lily felt a spark ignite within her. Not painful as such, but a burning sensation deep in her stomach. This was something she'd never felt before. So powerful it burned through her muscles and pushed the blood around in her head so rapidly, her head swirled and she felt she might burst. As her legs flashed out so quickly she could barely see them, she felt able to speed up yet again. She felt dangerously fast as she noticed the finish line pass under her feet and even though she knew she should stop, she couldn't resist pushing at the burning power that was now overtaking her whole body. She again saw something out of the corner of her eye and allowing herself to focus on the sounds around her for a second, she heard an almighty roar of noise coming from the surrounding students. No way, she thought, as she realised what she'd seen. Jackson was keeping pace with her.
0: Can you tell me something? At what point would you consider your book to be complete? Because I I, I know people who who work and work and work and work and work on a book and and never ever consider it to be complete.
1: I am in the finishing stages, so I've just kind of written the climax. I think I will have finished the first draft in the next week or so. I'm kind of excited to get that done. I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but my personal circumstance this year with having been on maternity leave and returning to work soon does kind of mean that I have a little bit of a deadline on how long I can spend my days um, refining and editing and things like that. So for me, once we get into November, I'm going to have got a few copies printed off. I've got some really great friends going to Take a copy and, and read it and kind of critique it to bits for me. Right. And that, well, that will kind of spell the end of the writing first draft yeah, process. Yeah. But the then end of course, the writing process then begins yeah, the editing process. Of course, and yeah, I, that can last forever. Yeah. Can't? I was going to
0: ask you if you self edited or if you had your work edited professionally.
1: Interesting, interesting concept. I, years and years ago, Phoenix in its first draft, which is unrecognizable to Phoenix today, um, I sent it round to agents and things back in 2012, um, and I got A little bit of feedback from one of the agents who'd requested the manuscript. So it was really, really encouraging, but they they didn't want to take it forward at that time. Um, And so I did get a little bit of an outside perspective there, but that's five and a half years ago now, and um, it just took me quite a long time. I think I had to get older myself. I had to feel just calmer in my own skin and and just feel confident, really, to pick it back up. And actually, it was only when I had Cara (laughs) back in February that I picked the manuscript back up and it was my sister who again is brilliant support and inspiration to me she said let me read the book that you've written all those years ago I was like oh I don't want you to I'm a bit embarrassed she said no come on let me read it and I gave it to her and I was ever so grateful because she just said it was great. Uh, and in retrospect, it really wasn't. But um, it was really important to, for her to kind of give me that encouragement. And I've picked it back up and basically rewritten it with the key themes and, and the character, the main character still in there, but loads of other changes. And so I have had a few really important outside people kind of influence me in that way. And recently the writers group, obviously, have read chapter yeah, by chapter. Ex- external
0: mm. opinions are always, oh, so always important, valuable. Yeah. Yeah. After your experience of writing this novel, are there any points or suggestions you might feel you'd like to pass on to anyone else who is just setting out, maybe, or even just thinking about setting out to write Mm. a novel? Are there there any points that stand out?
1: Um, For me, I would say just kind of have, have faith in yourself, really. That's not to say have so much faith in yourself that you don't take on advice um, and because like I found in this last year having those outside opinions is important and even if you don't agree with what people are saying about that chapter or that paragraph you have to take it on board you know as somebody who's read your work is saying this comment and therefore you have to be open to the critique but it also takes a lot of resilience and like I said I think I need to, to be a bit older a bit calmer a bit happier in myself before I could kind of really get my teeth into the the writing process because
0: do you, you do realize that when this book gets published and becomes highly successful <laughs> you, everyone will say you're an overnight success although, uh, it's taken so yeah. long, although it will have taken about eight years from start to, yeah, uh, to publication yeah, yeah. Yeah, think I, don't, overnight I
1: think um, I think this is very <clears> true in my work with young people as well, you know, in the classroom as a teacher, a lot of people, it's human nature to want to try something and get it right first time <clears throat> and when that doesn't work, um, I think it's human nature to want to sit down, do some work and get things right first time and get praise and rewards for it um, and so I don't feel remotely kind of embarrassed about the fact that I struggled to kind of pick the book back up and, and wrangle with it because it, it takes a lot of resilience and as a as a writer and as a teacher and as a learner basically as a human being i think we all need to get to the point where we accept that element of redrafting revisiting resilient kind of chipping away at, at the skill
0: Yeah, writer to writer here uh, i think personally one of the most important things is that you actually believe in what you're doing
1: uh, yeah
0: it, it's it's the, the judgment on it belongs mm, to others but, yeah. but as long as you believe in what you're doing
1: I agree completely then, when... then
0: you will complete it it's, yeah. it's, if you set off on something that sounds like a good idea yeah. But you don't believe in it, or if
1: somebody else has suggested it's a good idea, or yeah. if God forbid, you look at the market and you think, "Oh, there's money to be made there." I think that's a dangerous I know people motivation. Who do that. Yeah, and I know people who I, um, have done that in the past. Like yeah. I say, a few months back, I'd just had my baby, and my sister said, "Let me read your book, and it's really good, and all this." And I thought to myself, "Well, oh, you know, what if I what if I try and rewrite this, and it, and nothing happens." And then I realised, and my husband's really good at at kind of saying this type of thing as well, he said, what does it matter? You know, you don't do creative things for other people. You do them because you think there's a worth in them and you think you've got something to say. And at the end of the day, I'm really excited to just get this printed, even if it's one copy for my daughter to read when she hits 11, 12 years old. That's (laughs) good. I'm sure there'll be more
0: than that. Well, I hope so. Absolutely sure. As long as Cara likes it. I'll tell you something about bookshelves. Mm. You can see my bookshelves here. On that shelf there... Is a novel and it's on the bookshelf. And that's the best place to put a book. Because yeah. <laughs> that's been on there for about five years uh-huh. as well. And one day I'll pick it up and think, how on earth did I write this? Or why on earth did I write this? <laughs> and then go through it. And edit it again. And, yeah. and speaking to you this morning with your five-year, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, layoff on the book and yeah. then come back to it, is is absolutely right. It's it true, is the way it, to do yeah. it. But like you said, most people are impatient. They want it yeah. here. They well, want it's it human now. nature, isn't it? And it's it's the now generation, mm-hmm. isn't it? I also so.
1: think on that topic, it's worth noting that if you don't enjoy what you're doing, it's probably not worth doing it in the sense that you spend hours and hours and hours doing the writing and the redrafting and the editing and it's so emotional my goodness I feel like my life and soul's gone into phoenix but even if you know nothing happens as of today that it's fine because I've really enjoyed sitting there doing it I've got a buzz from it it's made me kind of walk with a bounce in my step and I think sometimes not just young people maybe all people are maybe overly driven by extrinsic motivators like money or fame or anything and really i think you're happiest when you're kind of doing things for you and the the people that matter to you
0: but as we know most most writers earn money not from writing Mm -hmm. but sorry not by writing Mm -hmm. but from writing from from teaching uh, running workshops etc etc and and to be honest, I done that, and I don't Mm. like that, and uh, (laughs) I I would sooner write, although I haven't written much of late. I've been doing a lot of editing and catching up on things that I've had in a drawer, and just the way you're doing with this book.
1: That's important in itself, isn't
0: it? So, give me a little bit of your history, uh, your writing history. What have you written prior to this novel, or was it the MA that just sparked the novel and here we are?
1: Well, I have to say that Phoenix started it all off, really. I first put pen to paper with Phoenix. (sighs) 2008 I think Mm -hmm. 2009 I, I kind of nominally finished the first draft and then I was um busy tweaking it I sent it out to a few agents like I say got plenty of rejection but one person did ask for the full manuscript which was really encouraging Um, and then you know life gets in the way doesn't it and um, so from 2012 I didn't do much for a year or two just because of personal reasons and then I thought to myself do you know I'm going to get myself on a creative writing course because I love writing in itself and I just enjoy the idea of it so I went to do a course yeah. um, it was a writer called Susan Elliott. Oh yeah, I know yeah, a lot of. Lovely lady. Really. Yeah, absolutely yeah. So much I, energy. Yeah, she's I only, amazing. I only yeah. met her twice because she did this fantastic Saturday course that I went on. And I was just doing it for me. I just wanted to have a day where I could just absorb myself. Oh you, in you got
0: very lucky there. Oh right, right. Yeah. Well well, Sue's a very good communicator. Yeah, yeah, she's and, great. and she uh, she's she's a very good motivator mm. and she has so much energy yeah. that you can't fail to come yeah. away with. Well with the session,
1: I mean, in terms of writing it was just a few short bits but it just made Mm. me feel reinvigorated really and then off the back of that session and because I was in an email loop it's so strange how these things happen isn't it she kind of let us know on the email loop that there was a reading at Sheffield Hallam and I went along there and there were a couple of other writers um that were reading sections of their novel and I realized oh they've all done the MA here and I thought to myself well maybe I could Do the MA because I knew I'd always liked writing. I really enjoyed writing Phoenix, and although it wasn't—I don't think in retrospect it wasn't a brilliant manuscript at that time—but I I I knew that I'd really enjoyed the writing, so I thought, well, I'll look into this. And I went along to an open day for postgraduate students, obviously feeling ancient at twenty-nine or thirty or whenever it was, and uh, and I just got excited again about writing. And at that time, I started writing short stories, and briefly for a time on the MA, I started writing another novel. It was for adults and I didn't get much further than four or five chapters but that was a, a fun mm. and interesting process in itself. I got critique and, mm. and that helped me develop. And did,
0: did you f- feel that this helped you to develop a voice? Now mm. uh, people expect writers to have a voice which is why people who turn out novels ad mm. infinitum have a good have a good audience. If they've mm. got a voice that taps mm. into an audience's psyche, yeah, the audience yeah. will follow that voice. Irrespective of what mm. the story's about or the narrative. Yeah, they they like, enjoy you're, that, you're engaged that voice with the character. Yeah. Now in my own book there, I have a a, a critique by Ronnie Robinson that mm. said he thoroughly enjoyed it, looked all the way through it and couldn't find me in it.
1: Ah, interesting.
0: That that because everyone Every story is told from a different perspective oh, and in, yeah. in a different voice. Lots of voices. And yeah. and he was uh I, I'm sort of I don't know, polymorphic is it? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But he was looking for me and several other people have said this and, and I, I tend to hide behind a voice perhaps. Yeah. Do you think that would that we'll experience the inner voice of Sarah Perchon when we read this book? <sighs>
1: I think inevitably yes, because I feel so connected to Lily, and because she's been around me for so long. <laughs> um, okay. You know, we're coming up to kind of ten years uh, together in various different forms. So I think some of some of what I mean, I I, I write in a in a third person perspective, although it's yeah. from Lily's point of view. So I think some of the messages from the book, or I hope that they are messages that I would try to kind of project onto students I teach, on my own children about kind of equality and you know, power and people feeling like they had agency to do their own thing and to make a difference. So hopefully they are recognisable qualities in my own approach to life, but I wouldn't necessarily say there's a me in there.
0: As a writer, I tend to be very insular. Uh, I don't like sharing my work because I've never taken judgment in the spirit in which it's intended (laughs) i've always taken it as an implied criticism Mm. as a, a personal criticism basically so as a writer how do you cope with that
1: do you know i think if you'd have asked me five six years ago i'd have said exactly the same but partly because of the work i'm trying to do with students that i teach as well you know the school that i'm at has a really i think healthy approach to kind of resilience and reflection and failing forward this idea that you don't necessarily always get something right first time so it's it's a really great human quality to be able to kind of buckle down and, and rework things so I've tried to take that forward into my writing group sessions of course sometimes when you absolutely love the chapter and you've had one of those eureka moments when you finished it and you go to writing group and (laughs) David and dan are like oh this just doesn't work (laughs) you think really but you know i think possibly because i've got little cara and i'm so busy generally i think i have to be quite ruthless really with my time so i think right i've got an hour or two here i'm gonna sit i'm gonna take their advice on board but of course you don't always have to take everything that people say and adapt your work i always kind of measure out in my head what i think is appropriate to change and 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 what i think actually um, somebody's comment might have just missed, missed something. They've missed and the was, point, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, just tell me something now about you, your dreams and your hopes and fears for your oh. writing.
1: For my writing, um, well, a dream would be that somebody that I send it to in the coming months would would see something exciting and, and commendable in it and, and represent me and uh, to try and get a publishing deal. That is a hope I'm sure a lot of writers have. I think I'll carry on writing, even if that doesn't happen. And, you know, just because I enjoy it, it's a hobby, isn't it? For me at the moment, it's a hobby. It's been part of the qualification that I've been doing. And so I hope that I don't just stop, even if I do get kind of rejections and things like that, because I think it's important to just do what you enjoy.
0: Well, from an observer's point of view, I've noticed that if you don't voice your dreams, no one can help Mm. you with them. And a lot of the time it's about communicating your passion. Yeah. If you sit back and say, well, this is a hobby... Mm. then maybe that's how other people would treat you. you feel that you've really got to get
1: the bit
0: between your teeth with this? I I
1: agree. I agree. And when I say as a hobby, I think that's me kind of self-preserving a little bit. Because, of course, over the coming months, if I send it to agents and and don't get somebody kind of investing in me... That's the first layer
0: of your armour. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I also think from a practical point of view, you have to just crack on and enjoy your life as best you can and i absolutely love my job as a teacher i'm going back to it next month i'm excited to get back into the classroom and i think this experience of writing the book and doing the ma and being part of the writers group and coming here today and the novel slam last week it's enriched my experience so i think genuinely i i am at peace with whatever happens with with this project but i would absolutely love for somebody to see in lily what what i see in her and to take her forward with me
0: okay so if an agent listens to this interview, yes, I hope hello. that they will fall in love with Lily. <laughs> me too. <laughs> and, uh, and I hope they will share Sarah's passion for uh, the Phoenix. Sorry, it's not the Phoenix. Just Phoenix. It's just yeah. Phoenix. Lily mm-hmm. Phoenix. And I'd like to thank you for coming up and spending some time with me this morning. Uh, it's been absolutely interesting. And I love talking to other writers. And, and you really know where you're coming from. Oh, well. You that's really lovely. do. Really and, uh, it. and I you wish too. you every success <laughs> thank with Lily. You. Yeah and keep in touch and i will give you any help i can
1: well yes i definitely will keep in touch for all that advice (laughs) and
0: uh, yeah so thank you very much sarah Perchon, for sharing your inner world of writing and inspiration with us today and that's all from the urban tiger